Word of God from Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, Will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray for illumination. We ask, Lord, depending wholly upon your Spirit, for the gracious moving of your presence in our lives just now. Through Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. We saw last week as we looked at verses 33 and 34 how much God wants us and proclaims us to be winners in the struggles of life. Our pattern is not defeat, but victory. Now as we move on, we discover something even more glorious, that the word winner is inadequate. For in verse 37, we are told that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Higher than a winner, greater than a conqueror. Now perhaps you came to church this morning not really feeling much like a winner or even a conqueror. How could you be more than one? In fact, you lost some battles this week and you're struggling with some other things and you're wondering what's next and you feel pretty beaten and broken and here comes the word of God. We are more than conquerors, not we will be or can be or must be, but we are the great indicative of the Apostle Paul. We are this. And you say, where am I in this? Well, the missing clue is that the love of God is the material out of which the believer fashions his super-conquering. To be more than a conqueror is to be a super-conqueror. And that super-conquering is 
brought together and made possible by the utilization and the implementation and the realization of the love of God for us. You see, that may sound sentimental and weak to think of using love as the stuff of conquering, but that's just the kind of God we have. That's what he used, and that's what he wants us to use. God's love is not vague and airy. It is solid and real and true. It's a mighty and powerful force available, given even now to us. Let's look at this love in terms of of its usefulness as the stuff out of which to build victory. Well, think of this love in verse 35, the love of Christ. He says, who shall separate us from it? This is not our love to Christ. That's feeble. But this is his great love to us, which he has demonstrated clearly in his dying for our sakes and being raised again and being seated at the right hand of God and interceding for the Father all for us. This is his love for us, clearly proven. This love of his is like a magnet which draws us. That is, his love pulls you out of your present lethargy out of the doldrums, out of your spiritual apathy, the love of Christ draws you. And when that magnet of that love draws you, he begins to reform you and shape you into something that you were not, even into his own image. Now, there is around us a lot of sense about the love of God, but that may be quite a misconception. God's love is holy and just and focused in Jesus Christ. That is, whoever is not willing to receive the gift of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ cannot speak of the love of God because he has already spurned the only form in which that love presents itself. Often Christians have difficulty with the love of Christ for them. It's hard for them to believe and to feel that God actually loves them, partly because they know they are disobedient and selfish and proud. How can Christ love me very much in this condition is what's happening down underneath. But that shows a real misunderstanding of this magnetic love of Christ for the power and the magnetism is in him, not in us. There's nothing lovable about the best of us. So put aside your reticence, your refusal, your reserve, and know yourself loved as a believer, loved powerfully by Christ. So powerfully that these seven great antagonists that the apostle saw here cannot possibly penetrate or sever the connection 
between the believer and Christ. Now, Paul had experienced six of these perils before he ever wrote this Roman letter, and the last one was looking him right in the face. He said, tribulation? No, that won't bother me. Distress? Never. Persecution? I can handle that. Famine? Nakedness? Peril? I can take care of all these things. I have experienced them, and they do not separate me from the love. The magnetic love of Christ is so powerful, it is the stuff out of which I am building my life, and nothing can separate me from it. Now, if Paul, who faced these extraordinary pressures, and he was yet able to know that Christ's love didn't let him go in the midst of them, no matter how much he was whipped and beaten, shipwrecked, and all the rest, that did not stop Christ's loving him. If he could know it in the extraordinary, can you not know it in the ordinary? If Christ could walk with his disciples on the water, can he not walk with you on the land? Sure he can, and he does, and he will. That's what this means. Nothing can separate us. Those things you're going through. You see, our tendency is to think that because we have troubles, that that's a sign that the love of God has left us. That's an error of Satan and a suggestion of the world. But it's not true to the word of God. That's why Paul quotes here in verse 36 this passage from Psalm 44. He says why it's written in the Old Testament, for thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. The key phrase in that sentence is for thy sake. In other words, believers in the church in every generation, Old and New Testament, have all experienced the pressures and troubles and difficulties for thy sake. Precisely because they were believers did they endure this. Now, when they wrote it under David in Psalm 44, they were greatly perplexed by it. David did not know nearly as well how to handle his pain as Paul did, because Paul had watched the Lord Jesus handle his pressures and his suffering and use them. And Paul learned by that, and he could say, I fill up that which is behind of the sufferings of Christ. Marvelous. In heaven, Paul and David will converse together about the believer and his troubles and trials, and one will teach the other. But the great fact is that even though the world likes to suggest, oh, my Christian friend, now that you're going through these difficulties, that surely means that God's forsaken you or else there is no God, we say no. The existence of trouble and pressure in the Christian life is no indication that the love of God has faltered one bit. In fact, it may be and often is a very proof of its presence. For thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So you see, this love, it's Christ's love for us, powerful against every foe, and present even in every trouble.
But now what does it mean to be a super conqueror? We're armed now with a sense of the love of Christ for us. I hope you're armed with that. Well, what does it mean to be a super conqueror? Well, a conqueror defeats the enemy. A super conqueror not only defeats the enemy, but he turns him into a helper. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror, to turn your enemies into helpers. Now the reason Paul could write this is that he had himself been thus conquered by God. He had been the great enemy of the gospel of Christ, vehemently breathing out slaughter against the followers of the way. He was an opponent of the cross. God didn't simply annihilate him. He could have done that. God could have just wasted him out of the way. That takes care of the opposition. God would have been merely a conqueror. But God's a super conqueror. He made him into an enthusiastic supporter, an advocate, and proclaimer, a herald of the gospel of Christ. Oh, what a victory God had in the life of Paul. And so Paul, seeing the victory take place in his own life, wanted to reproduce that victory with his troubles. So when he was in chains, he used the chain with a captive audience. He won his guards to Christ. When he was shipwrecked and washed up on a strange island, he used the time and built a church. And every imprisonment, every setback, every illness, every difficulty was transformed from being an enemy into becoming a helper in the great program and the gospel enterprise which he was involved in. Oh, but I can hear somebody saying, ah, that's the Apostle Paul, that's not me. Think of his unflinching courage. Think of his great apostolic character. Think of his charismatic gifts. Here I am, just me. I'm whipped. Oh, but you didn't see the last part of verse 37. Through him who loved us. It wasn't any native talent in Paul that made him a super conqueror. It was his connection with the one who loved him. It was the power of Christ that enabled him to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that Paul saw Christ standing between himself and the problem. And everything that was to reach him had to go through the person of his friend. And going through the person, it was transformed from an enemy into a helper so that when it reached Paul, it was on friendly terms. Can you do that, friend? Can you keep Christ between yourself and the problem? So that whatever comes has to go through him ere it touches you. And when it comes, you welcome it with open arms as from him. So that afflictions become sweet, transmitted through Christ. Where afflictions abounded, he wrote, consolations did much more abound. Pain, 
when it comes through Christ becomes blessing. Wounds become badges of honor. Trials become occasions for learning. And so every onslaught of the enemy is something from which we can snatch blessing. Even the tragedies teach us things we could not learn when life was calm and joyful. Everything coming through Christ becomes a helper, not an enemy. When he catalogs them, why, he said, I can see death coming to me. Death itself is marching, and Paul knew what he was talking about here. Death is marching toward me. It will soon be here. But what is it? Christ has transformed it. To die is gain, and I'll go to be with him. And life, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. Some of us are more afraid of life than we are of death. But Christ is the Lord of life, and everything in life must pass through him to reach me. Can any eventuality in life separate me from his love? No. Angels, they're good. But sometimes the good is the enemy of the best. But the angels, the principalities and powers, those evil and mysterious forces, how can they reach me when they must pass through Christ and when his great arms encircle me in love? How can the powers of the universe, the powers of evil spiritual beings, cause me to fall? They cannot. Things present? Oh, that's the hard one. What's present in your life? Loneliness? Paul knew it. Some of you know it more than others. A widow. A single person. One far from home. You know what loneliness is. But even that loneliness reaches you. It has to be filtered through the person of the greatest friend that anyone ever knew. And your loneliness is healed when you open your heart to encircle him in intimate communion. Things present. Some of you are so busy, you hardly have time to collect your thoughts and your soul. You wonder. But that busyness comes to you through Christ. Remember Susanna Wesley who conducted a household of 20 persons and brought them all to a great height of spiritual maturity. What a woman, what busyness she must have had and how she was able to let this hectic schedule come through Christ in such a way that even the busyness became for her a sacramental blessing. Some of you bear great disappointments today. Today you could have stood in another place, pursuing another whole goal in life, a whole nother destiny, which would have been yours. In the providence of God it is not. And a disappointment weighs heavy on your soul. A deep sorrow is there in the place of a great glory. But even that sorrow, even that disappointment passes through 
the loving arms and eyes of our Redeemer. Things present, no. Nothing present, whether loneliness or sorrow or disappointment. What can these do? When Christ loves us so dearly, things to come, some of you are worried about what's down the road. Maybe war, maybe need, maybe sickness, death. What then? But does not the one who holds the past and the present also grip your future? And can anything develop in it that is unknown to his wise and loving heart? No. Even if it were possible to have a whole new creation portrayed on the screen of our imagination, other than the one we now know, even if such could be, even then the cross of our Lord Jesus as the great demonstration of God's love could not be eclipsed so powerful and permanent and glorious is the love of Christ for his own that whatever creation you could imagine you would not be beyond his loving care you who belong to him you who are in Christ Jesus by faith. Oh, friend, I long for you to live out the life of the super conqueror. To do that, you need to let God cleanse every hard situation. One of the reasons that my friends have difficulty bearing trouble is that they are the cause, at least partly, of the trouble. They thought if this thing came visited upon me out of nowhere and I had no part in it, that would be one thing. But I had some guilty action that resulted in this. And I am responsible in some measure. And that's why I say let God cleanse every situation. For we are sinners, and all that we do is sinful, and we do tincture every situation with our vile hands. Let God cleanse it. Confess your sinfulness. And when he has cleansed it, then let him redeem it. He can take that thing, even though you had a part in the way it went wrong. He can take that ugly thing and bring benefits and cause fruit to grow and cover it with roses, and he can make it live in beauty and glory. Let him cleanse and redeem the hard places of your life. Don't resent and resist and hate them. Use the love of God as a model for your own activity in the situation. For you see, we're told in Scripture that we are to copy God in love. Ephesians chapter 5, copy God, imitate God's love. Suppose every husband in this room were to imitate the love of Jesus for his church. Suppose he were to go home today dedicated 
to loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Just suppose that. And every wife went home dedicated to esteeming and reverencing her husband in the same way that the church adores Jesus Christ. Suppose that. There's not a broken home in the land that could not be healed by such an imitation of the love of God. You see, to be a super conqueror is to manifest the very love to others which at the same time God is manifesting to you so that you become a conduit of the love of God in your home or your business or your neighborhood or wherever you are. Are you doing that? Oh, these, these troubles, they break us. They, they lay us low. Let them. Let the irritations humble you till you see your nothingness. And then when you see your nothingness, let God exalt you in the situation. He doesn't want to simply trample you underfoot, but once you have been humbled, and we, we need that humbling, then let Christ exalt you over the situation so that you soar above it to heavenly heights, and you look down upon the irritation, the difficulty from a whole new perspective. Oh, friend, so often we try to evade. We run from the hard places. But I call on you today to imagine. Suppose I were to be able now to present to you the authentic cross of Christ. And I had here the actual wooden beams. And we had it supported, and here it was. We could prove to you, suppose we could do that, that this was the cross of Christ. Now, when the service was over, what would you do? I know you. I don't think a one of you would leave until you'd come up here. You'd line up to see it. You would embrace it. Many of you would kiss the cross. There would be tears around that cross. You would express not reverence to that wood, but the love of Jesus shown there would move your heart until you you welcomed that thing into your life and you took it to yourself. And this is what Christ is calling you to do with your troubles because he loves you. Welcome them. Put your arms around them and kiss them. Say, welcome Jesus Christ because you know that Christ is going to use that very thing in a dynamic and wondrous way your life. Oh, friend, filled with fear, put aside all those fears. Why should you be afraid? Because God has you in his hand as a believer. It's a strong grasp he has of you. He will not 
let you go. That's the whole point of Romans 8. You are his forever. That work which he has begun in you, he will bring to completion. No question about it. And his strong grasp covers you with love, holds you with might. It is tender. It is a gentle grasp. It doesn't compress you. But it is firm and strong, and it will not let you go. So you can face life and face death unafraid. Why should we fear? Ah, oh, the great phrase of Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? It keeps asking that. What shall we say to these things? As if Paul is, is waiting for a reaction. What are you going to say about this? What will you do with it? And I ask you today, we've come to the end now of Romans 8. What do you say to these things? Do you still think that your salvation is in jeopardy? That tomorrow you may lose it? And that you may be consigned to perdition? Do you think that? You could not after we have labored over this chapter in its intricate and wondrous details. Do you know yourself out of Adam and into Christ? Have you died to your old self and to the law as a judge? Have you done with walking in the flesh and are you walking in the spirit? If you are, you are Christ's. Not by accident, but on purpose and his forever. And nothing, nothing, this life or at death can separate you from that gracious and glorious love. An old man, Hugh Kennedy, lay dying in Scotland and as he was blind at that point, the family was amazed when he called for his Bible. They said, yes, we'll bring it, but why? And he said, well, open it to Romans 8. Oh, we have it there. What about it? He said, find the place where it says, I am persuaded. Put my finger on that place. I want to die with my finger on the place. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Hugh Kennedy died that day with his finger on the place. And I'm asking you to live with your finger on the place. You are more than a conqueror. Now be what you are. For Christ has said it of you. Let us pray. We are still before you, O gracious God, awed by the truths of your word and moved 
by such an expression of assurance and hope that we are ashamed of our fears and our fretting, of our narrow view of life and death. And we are set free to soar in this world and the world to come, to live above our problems and defeats as super conquerors. Oh God, may it be so of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.